Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Thank you, listening friends, for tuning in to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise, my partner in this ministerial effort, to declare the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to thank you as listeners, and I want to thank WLZA 96.1 FM for being the venue to host this broadcast. We hope that you'll decide to tune back in with us again Sunday by Sunday. It is our great privilege to do so. Now, we uh, want you to visit our churches. Churches in the area are Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road near Ackerman, Mississippi. In Maven, Mississippi, you'll find Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 55 Tahoe Road, Maven, Mississippi. They meet every second and fourth Sunday. They're without a pastor right now, but they are blessed with a steady uh, pulpit supply of visiting brethren who are sound. And uh, we invite you to go and worship every second and fourth Sunday at 10.30 a.m. with Clear Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Mabin. And we also want you to visit us at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. That's Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church. Our churches meet together every Wednesday evening uh, on the grounds of New Covenant Church. That's located at 200 West Garrard Road. That's G-A-R-R-A-R-D, West Garrard Road in Starkville. We meet at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening, and we invite you to come and worship the Lord with us. Also, go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, and let us know that you're listening and take advantage of the resources offered there. Today, we are continuing with a installment on a series of messages titled King Saul, A Cautionary Tale. I'm so very glad that you stayed tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. And if you will, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 14, verse 24. Now, as you know, in the series of messages, if you've been listening, we have been trying to cover some of the major errors in the choices and in the life of King Saul in the Old Testament. As we tried to build a foundation, we tried to show from Scripture how King Saul, though just a cursory examination of his life and description of his life, would not bear it out. But yet we do have scriptural authority to believe that he is in heaven right now, which means he's a child of God. He was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and has been in covenant bond between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before the world ever began. Yes, I believe that King Saul is in heaven. Now, again, if I was just looking at his life and seeing the manner of his life, the manner of his speech, his murderous intent, and uh, his malignity against someone as innocent as David during that time, I would not be led to believe that. But yet, when the Word of God gives me indication of something, then I should trust that and not trust my own senses or my own feeble judgment. So, knowing that he's a child of God, it's important for us to recognize that the mistakes that he made in his life potentially are prone for us to make as well. And so it would do us well uh, to use his life as a cautionary tale, to learn from it and not repeat the mistakes that King Saul made. Now, as we go to 1 Samuel chapter 14, we read verse 24. Now, the context of this, you see there's a great battle going on with the Philistines. 
Jonathan was the brave one who was joined by his armor bearer and they went forward and they took on a garrison of Philistines. And then it emboldened people who had gone over to the side of the Philistines. It emboldened people who had run and hidden in caves and uh, were uh, hiding, trembling with fear. And it also emboldened people who were Israelites. And then finally, the Israelite troops that were led by King Saul came barreling down from their place underneath the shade tree. And they actually have now joined in the battle as well. And now we read verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had adjured the people. That means he had imposed a command upon the people. Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. You know, when men make a mandate and pass a law, and they hold to that law, even though it's a bad law, because sometimes men make bad laws, right? That's a foolish thing to not be able to back away from an error, a mistake. I mean, you see this manifestly in the Persian Empire as described in the word of God. When they passed a law, that law was irrevocable because their king was seen as divine. And so therefore it was not revocable. And that's a foolish thing when it comes to men. And it was a foolish thing here for Saul uh, to do this to tell his men that not one morsel of food, not one bite is to be eaten until all of them be vanquished. Well, friends, you know as well as I do that if you're a man laden down with armor and you're fighting and you're running in the midday heat and you're chasing after the enemy, it is a very vigorous aerobic exercise. It's exhausting and it takes nutrition. It takes energy. And here's Saul so foolishly and might I add selfishly because notice what he said. This is a selfish uh, focus on this. He said, cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening that I may be avenged on mine enemies. You see, Saul joined this battle late, but now he is acting as if the victory that day is primarily because he needs the glory. Friends, the victory over the Philistines should have brought the Lord of Israel the glory. Their Jehovah God deserved the victory and they should have trusted in him, and they were fighting in his name, not in the name of Saul. Saul is selfishly looking at this as a project to bring himself glory. And in doing this, he has put a great grievous burden upon his soldiers. Now, what do we see in this error that he selfishly imposed his law onto the people? He did it for his own carnal satisfaction. And we see that men oftentimes make this error by entering in man-made traditions and man-made commandments into that which is sacred. They try to pass them off as the word of God when the word of God never intimates such. No law that was found in the Mosaic or the Levitical law in the Old Testament intimated that this would be right, that this should be done. This is something that was totally imposed by Saul himself. And friends, we... Even as believers in Christ, even as children of God, we are still foolish enough to oftentimes to try to pass on as the commandments of God, the doctrines of men. And they are totally often diapo uh, diametrically opposed, excuse me, to the word of God. We see this alluded to 
uh, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, listening, friends, you know as well as I do, it's a good hygienic thing for you to wash your hands before you eat bread. And it's something that's good for you to do. But yet here, these Pharisees, uh, these hyper-proud, super-religious, and very, very... uh, obstinate uh, religious leaders during this time were imposing upon people something that was made up by man. Nowhere in the law of God did it command that a man had to wash his hands before he ate. What if you were out in the field and you were hungry and you didn't have water available, but yet you were starving. You had food, but you had no water. You see, that doesn't make any sense. But here the Pharisees were saying, well, this is according to the tradition of the elders And therefore, it is just as important, it carries as much weight as the word of God itself. And friends, here Jesus is fixing to disabuse them of this foolish, false notion. Again, they ask, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. In another place in the Gospels, it's called Corban. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Jesus is referring here to a dastardly practice that was exercised by many wealthy Jews during that time who had parents that they did not want to support. They were not planning to honor their mother and their father. Remember, there was no such thing as Social Security. There was no disability back then, no Medicaid, no Medicare. People depended upon their loved ones to care for them when they were aged and they couldn't care for themselves. That was the system back then. And it was wrong for a young person to not honor their own parents enough to care for them. And I'll tell you, that has not changed. It's still a dishonor today. How do we know it hasn't changed? Because that truly is the command of God. And we know that doesn't change. This is something that they entered in, a practice where the money that they would normally use to support their mother and their father, they would go and they would devote it to the temple. They would put it in the coffers of the temple. Now, why were they doing this? Were they doing this because they had such an extreme devotion to God? Well, I'll say this. If they had an extreme devotion to God, then they would do what God says. And God had told them to honor father and mother. I mean, Jesus said it's the first commandment with promise upon the earth that thou mightest live long uh, on the land which he has given thee. If you, if you want to honor God to the utmost, you basically do what he says in love toward other people. But they didn't want to do that. What they wanted to do is give that money, I suspect, because people saw them putting that money into the temple coffers, and they were bringing uh, fame to themselves, popularity to themselves, admiration to themselves, because they were giving this money. All the while, their parents were suffering with privation. This is a wrong and a damnable thing to do, and Jesus is condemning this, this silly and vain and wicked tradition that people were passing on at that time as that which was godly and according to the law. He said, Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect 
by your tradition. What does it mean to throw away the word of God? Friends, that's to blaspheme the name of God. In the Psalms, it tells us he has magnified his word above all his name and to uh, trample underfoot his word and to thumb your nose at it purposely. That is to blaspheme the name of God. And here he said, thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. In other words, you were saying, I trump the law of God, which commanded me to take care of my parents, and I'm superimposing upon it my own tradition so that it'll bring me pleasure, so that it'll bring me acclaim. Jesus said, ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, friends, if you have a heart for Jesus Christ, you don't want to worship him in vain. What does it mean to worship him in vain? It means your worship is empty. It's false. It's counterfeit. And here is one very clear way in which we can nullify any effort or any claim to true worship of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, the same thing that King Saul did. Why do men do this? Why, do we, why are we prone to do this? Why do we have to fight against it in the power of the Holy Spirit that we remain disciplined and just adhere to the word of God and respect it and not sully it by trying to add our own edicts and our own opinions uh, as the word of God? Well, it's vanity. It's vanity, my friends. We are prone to vanity. When we fell in sin, friends, we uh, decided we wanted to worship someone, and who do we worship? We worship ourselves, okay? The imposition of these traditions, it pleases man. It does not please the Lord. Notice in Zechariah chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. This is addressed in this Old Testament passage. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even to Jezlu, when they had sent unto the house of God, Sherezer, and Rejim Melech and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month separating myself as I have done these so many years? Now what's going on here? Well, the men at that time had sent these representatives, Sherezer and Rejim Melech, to go and to seek counsel of God that whether they should continue their fasting exercise in the fifth month and in the seventh month. You see, in the fifth month, they began a fast. Why? Because that's when that accords with the time when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, raised it to the ground and destroyed Jerusalem. And in the seventh month, that's in accord with the time when uh, a man named Ishmael and some of his wicked followers, men of Belial, came in and they slaughtered the governor that was placed in Judea at that time. His name was Gedaliah. Gedaliah was a good and a godly man, and he was just commanding the people that they were to live subservient to the Babylonians because it was God's will. And we see that it had been commanded as God's will that they would live under that bondage in Jeremiah and multiple other places. Gedaliah was just speaking to the people those things that were the truth of God's word that came from a true prophet of God. So here they are fasting in the fifth month and the seventh month. Now, nowhere in the law has this been commanded. None of the prophets that God sent commanded this of the people. And so they're wondering, should we continue this fast? Notice the response of the Lord to them. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me saying, 
Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? Here God is asking them, what was the focus of your fast? Was it to honor me or was it to somehow comfort your wounded conscience? He said, uh, and when ye did eat and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? You see, what God went on to tell them is, if you had done what I told you to begin with, there'd be no need for this fast in the fifth and in the seventh month because Jerusalem would still stand and the temple worship would still be intact. Uh, your, your city would not have been brought to shambles. Okay, but they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They did what they wanted to do. And these fasts that they came inquiring about with such humble uh, frame, it was simply just an exercise of vanity. You know, there are traditions to be kept. We see this in the New Testament church today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, in the first two verses, tells the church at Corinth, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. What is ordinances? It means basically traditions. Now, Brother Joe, I thought the focus of this message was that man-made traditions are bad. Absolutely, man-made traditions are bad. But you see, the apostles were establishing traditions that they had received by command of God. Baptism, the communion supper, the Lord's supper, to remember the Lord until he comes. You see, these are traditions given by God through uh, the mediatorship of the apostles unto men, and so therefore they should be adhered to. And we only find two such ordinances in the New Testament church teachings, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you, to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Here he's saying, how blessed you are that God before the foundation of the world chose you to salvation. He sanctified you through the spirit, gave you the new birth and gave you the ability, the capacity to believe the truth. How blessed you are. And then he goes on to verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel, meaning to the belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a wonderful thing. He's saying you were chosen before the world began. You've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God. You've been blessed to believe the truth. And now you've been able to uh, enjoy some of the glorified experience of Jesus Christ while you live down here on this earth. But then after he says all that, notice what he said in verse 15, therefore, and as you've probably heard me say before on this program, friends, anytime you see in the scriptures, therefore, it's good for you to stop and ask, what is it there for? Okay. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You see, based upon all those blessings they had received, how serious is it that they are to keep the traditions that God has given to the church? He said, uh, therefore, means taking into account all those wonderful things that God has done for you, even beginning from the foundation of the world. You should stand fast and hold those ordinances or traditions which ye have been taught. Notice he does not intimate here. He does not indicate at all that this is an evolving process, that these traditions are evolving. 
Some people believe that uh, their traditions that form over time in their church, they're just as inspired. They count them just as inspired as the preserved word of God. Balderdash and poppycock, my friends. Nowhere in the word of God can you defend such foolishness. Here he said, we've already delivered unto you the traditions, the ordinances, and it's those that you are hold to. Uh, notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6-9. through nine. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. In other words, if you have a church member, a professed believer of Jesus Christ, who walks in disorder, who refuses to walk along with the church and to comply with the church and to walk in a holy, sanctified walk according to the word of God and is contrary to the church and to the truth and is entering in divisions and heresies, you need to withdraw yourself from that person. They need to be excluded from the fellowship of the church. Verse 7, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travailed night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. See, Paul is telling them here that you need to follow us because we were an example unto you. And not only in our example, but also in our commandment to you right now, Church of Thessalonica, we're telling you that if somebody will not hold the traditions, you need to withdraw from them. What does that mean? That if there's a baptized member of the church of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who refuses to commune with the church, who claims and commands and demands membership into the church without going through an orderly baptism, scriptural baptism, then you're to withdraw from that person. That person should not be considered a member of the church if they refuse baptism. Certainly, that's the entrance into the church. Uh, you see in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls were added unto them that day. How do they ed were added in? They were added because of baptism. They entered into the church that day. That's the entry in. And while you're in the church, you are to remember the Lord's death until he come. Uh, look for him coming by doing what? Meeting together peacefully and partaking of the Lord's Supper or the communion, the bread and the wine. And he said, if somebody refuses to do that, you need to withdraw from such a person. Now, let's look at some of the traditions of men that have taken hold in the church throughout the years. Now, I'm not going to touch on primitive, necessarily primitive Baptist traditions. I preached an entire message on this last Sunday at Sulphur Springs. If you want to go and see me call out some of the foolish traditions that have been embraced by the primitive Baptist church, of which I love, I can talk about them because I am a primitive Baptist. I love the primitive Baptist church. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm just as churchy as Noah was archy. Amen. Yay and amen. But I also know that there are folks in the church and we make mistakes sometimes. Here, I'm just going to speak more generally in churches. Maybe it's in the church you attend. Maybe it's in someone else's church that you know these things go on. But let's look at a few of them. Dancing being wrong. Nowhere in the word of God can you defend that. Now, if you're dancing in a lewd and lascivious way, that is wrong, obviously, according to the scripture. But dancing in itself, in an appropriate manner, is not. Being a teetotaler saying it's sinful to take any alcohol. There is no way to defend that in Scripture, my friends. That is a tradition of men that has been passed on as the doctrines of God. Being under the law of tithing, 
like in the Old Testament, means 10% of your increase here in the New Testament church is obligated to the New Testament church. We are not under that command. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, he said, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. If you're saying we're under the law of the, the tithe in the New Testament church today, then you countermand that command in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. A pope's, someone being a pope over the church, that is wrong. That is a man-made tradition. The concept of purgatory, a place in between heaven and hell where you go to burn off the rest of your sins, it's fairy tale. It's not scriptural. And I'll step on some toes with this. The use of musical instrumentation in the public worship. We don't see any example in the New Testament for that. Somebody may say, oh, you don't quit preaching on the meddling now. Well, you know what? That's my job is to point out the word of God and the truth. You show me how you can defend it in the New Testament scriptures and I'll embrace it heartily. But otherwise, I must realize that it is a tradition of man that has been imposed upon the Lord's church throughout the ages. Altar calls where people must come and beg and pay, pray through to be saved. You don't see such a thing in the book of Acts or in the gospels, anywhere in the word of God. Preachers who are preaching for pay and according to contract. I don't find that basis anywhere in the New Testament. If a man imposes that, I'm afraid he is imposing a tradition. Christening babies who aren't able to profess a belief in Christ, a tradition. Calling baptisms, so calling something baptism where you don't go all the way under the water and then come back out of it. I'm sorry, tradition. Women involved in church in the church's teaching ministry. You can't defend that with scripture. No, that countermands scripture. It must be rejected. It's a tradition. Absolution of sins by a priest. Tradition. Pastors being the bosses of the church. Tradition and not scriptural. Sunday schools. Tradition not scriptural. It was originally formed to teach children who were parentless and were totally ignorant and were being used as white slaves. Friends, it was never meant to countermand uh, a parent's obligation to teach their children from the word of God. It is a man-made tradition and I encourage you to reject it. Separating your worship according to style. Well, at 8 o'clock, we're having the traditional worship, and at 10.30, we're having the contemporary worship. You show me any such thing in the New Testament scriptures, and I'll tell you with an open mind and heart, I hope to be able to accept it. But I can tell you it is not there. It is a tradition imposed by man upon the church, and it has been intimated according that it is the God-given gospel way of the New Testament church. And I tell you, friends, it is not. I'm not trying to be ugly but I'm trying to hold to the truth. And until I'm able to speak with you again, my friends, I beg that you would, with an open mind and a humble heart, consider these things that we brought to your mind. And until we're able to speak with you again on such august subjects, may the Lord bless you all in a special way.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.